For those of you who don't know me, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Chi Alpha. And if this is your first time with us, we are so grateful that you decided to join us. Seriously, thank you. I'm so thankful for all of you. I was just sitting here during our worship rehearsal practice, just so grateful that we get to do life with each other and that we get to do ministry on this campus. So it's a pretty fun life. It's a fun job. So I'm really thankful for all of you for that. Also, if this is your first time, it is not too late to sign up for Fall Retreat. It's never too late. You could come on Friday and say, I didn't sign up, and we'd get you in there, okay? Chloe and Lexi would have to, like, sneak in after the sign-ups, but it'd be okay. We'd be ready to roll. Two weeks ago, I started off this series that we're in by sharing the story of my discipleship journey with Jacob Enos, who's a student here at Chi Alpha. And tonight, I'm going to continue this trend of sharing my discipleship journey with someone. And what is a discipleship journey? It is just helping people look more like Jesus. That is all discipleship is, is helping people Look more like Jesus. Discipleship is the DNA of Chi Alpha. It's why we exist, is to help our friends look more like Jesus. So tonight I'm going to share the story of my discipleship journey with one of our Chi Alpha interns, Victor. Victor plays guitar every week in that spot every single week, and he shreds, so let's give him a round of applause. He's amazing. Yes, amen. I met Victor four years ago at a Chi Alpha service. We were in the Communication Arts Center where we used to meet. And I remember he walked in. He walked in from the hallway over, the, it was on the left. He walked in, all excited for what God was gonna do. He had one of those goatees that only freshman boys are allowed to grow because after that, everyone yells at you and tells you to shave that goatee because it looked nasty. But Victor had it and he rocked it hard, okay? If you've got a goatee in this place, we love you. We're praying for your soul, okay? God has plans for you. I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong with the goatee. But Victor came in all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to see what God was going to do in his time in college. Victor quickly got plugged into Chi Alpha. He started coming to a small group, coming to service every week, and he started to grow quite a bit. And there's this story that I feel like represents Victor and I's relationship quite well. Some of you are laughing because the thing, there's a problem with this story. It's one of my only good ones. And so I did share it last year. So for those of you that have already heard it, I'm sorry. You get to hear it again and look for some Easter eggs. Maybe there's something new in there. Maybe I snuck something in, something fun. So let's be excited about that. But I just, as I was seeking the Lord this week, I felt like our new Kyalfians need to hear this story because it's kind of fun. So if you didn't know, every Thursday morning here at Chi Alpha, we have this thing called morning prayer. Yeah. Okay. There was more noise there than people who show up at morning prayer on Thursday mornings. So if you're going to yell about it, I want to see you. 7 a.m., Zoom. You can just wake up and come. It's fine. Now it's on Zoom. You just pop up. Enos does it every week. He's like, oh, hello, good morning. That's how he starts his day off. It's a good day. So before, though, we've done morning prayer for a while. And before COVID... We used to do morning prayer in person. Crazy, I know. It was fun. We did it in the Communication Arts Center, which is that way. And going back to Victor's freshman year, he was in mine and Marcus Boldy, who's one of our volunteer staff members here. We, Marcus and I co-led a small group, and Victor was in it. And so we decided, you know what? Our guys don't come to morning prayer, and we want to change that. So we're going to do something to incentivize them to come. So we decided that we we're going to get up even earlier and go get breakfast with our small group at 6 a.m. Thursday morning at Village Inn, and that would get them to morning prayer. So we're pretty excited about this idea. Our small group is kind of excited, not really, but they feel obligated, so they come. So we get up that morning. I remember I got up at like 5 a.m., and at that point in time, it was like the earliest I'd ever been up. Now I got all the pregame jitters to go eat breakfast with my friends. So I get excited, and I start calling all my guys, like, what's up? Are you ready? Are you so excited? They're like, eh, yeah, I'm awake. And so I call all our small group. Everyone answers. 
Everyone's excited except Victor. Victor doesn't answer. That was Victor's first mistake. So he doesn't answer, and I have a dilemma. Do I be a good, loving, small group leader and, and fight for Victor and make sure that he gets to enjoy this 6 a.m. breakfast with 10 smelly men? Or do I let Victor sleep the morning away? And I just feel like that wouldn't be really loving of me to let him continue to sleep the, the morning. So I decide, okay, we have to do something about this. So I go to Bender, which was Victor's dorm, and I sit outside. Again, it's 6 a.m. And I remember I just stood there waiting for an athlete to come out, because I didn't live in Bender, so the doors were locked. But I knew that some athlete has to go lift this early. So I sat and waited, and I waited. And sure enough, out comes some girl who has to go and work out, and I sneak in the door. All right, step one's accomplished. So I get inside Bender, then I realize I forget what room Victor's in, so I get on this thing called the UNI directory. If you don't know what that is, they've got all your information on there, like where you grew up, your major, your biggest fears. Just kidding, they don't have that on there. But they do have your dorm room on there. So I get on the UNI directory, and I look up where Victor lives. I find his dorm. We go up to his room. I find his door with the little Victor name tag on it, and I knock. He doesn't answer. But as I'm knocking, I realize the door is unlocked. That was Victor's second mistake. So I push it open a little bit, and I see Victor. I can picture it still. He's, he's up in his loft. He's snoozing away. And, and again, I'm at another crossroads. What do I do? Do I let him sleep, or do I love him? And I decide, of course, to love him. So I'm like, Victor, because he has a roommate. And I don't want to wake his roommate up. Victor, get up. <sighs> he's sitting there dreaming about his guitar, just having a good night or morning, and so I'm like, okay, we must do something drastic. So I sneak into his room, Victor still doesn't wake up, so then I get the bright idea that I'm going to climb into my small group guy's bed. <laughs> I climb up his loft, I hop in bed, good morning, wake him up, <laughs> Victor's ticked, what are you doing? So Victor wakes up. After I'm in his bed, he angrily gets out, and we end up going to Village Inn. We have a wonderful morning together. At least I look back, and that is a fond memory of our time together. We go to morning prayer. We're about a half hour late, but that's fine because we had some good breakfast, and all is good. As creepy as this might sound to you that I climbed into a freshman boy's bed, if that sounds creepy to you, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if I can change it now, but I, I'll pray. I'll pray and see if the Lord changes that. But I did climb into his bed, and that might sound creepy, but if I'm honest with you, this moment is when I look back as the start of Victor's and I's discipleship journey. So we had known each other for a little bit, but that was the moment that things changed a little bit between us. And the discipleship journey I've had with Victor has been one of the biggest joys of my entire life. Victor is absolutely one of my closest friends on the planet, and there's literally no one else in the world that I can talk to for as long and not get sick of them. Everyone else, even Taylor sometimes, I can get a little sick of them. Victor and I can just talk for hours, and for some reason I don't get sick of it, so that's fun. We've had a lot of ups and downs together, but God has used our friendship to radically change both of our lives. All of us in this place are like Victor and I. We are all like Victor where we need a mentor in our lives. We need someone who's willing to get into the junk of our lives or get into the bunk bed of our lives. But I, uh, I felt pretty good about that one. We need someone who's willing to go the extra mile to wake us up. 
We need someone who's willing to challenge us and push us closer to Jesus. We need to be fed the word of God and we need to be fought for. We need to have a leader who is willing to do whatever it takes to push us closer to Jesus, even if that means sneaking into our dorm room and climbing into our bunk beds. We also are all like myself in this story. We all have a call in our lives to mentor someone else. We all have something to offer to someone else. We all need to be willing to do whatever it takes to see our friends come closer to Jesus. We need to be willing to fight for them like crazy. We need to be faithful with what God has given us and we need to nurture our friendships and use them to point to Jesus. We need to be willing to not only let people get into the junk of our lives, but we need to be willing to get into the junk of other people's lives. And even if you're here and you're not sure if you actually believe in Jesus, I think there's something that God wants to tell you tonight. I think that God has a plan for you and he has you here on purpose. God wants to show you what it could look like to follow him, to dive all in, to be faithful, to be someone that is worth fighting for. We are continuing our series, More Calling, tonight, and we've been talking about our calling as followers of Jesus. The first week, I started us off by sharing that we each kind of have two callings. So the first calling is very specific to us. Like, I am called to be a teacher. I'm called to be a businesswoman, to be a husband. That's like your specific calling. But then we all also have this general calling that all of us share, and that calling comes from Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus tells us to therefore go and make disciples. We are all called to go and make disciples. What does that mean? We are called to help our friends look more like Jesus. That is a calling that is not specific to one person, but generalized to our, the whole population. We are all called to make disciples, to make little Jesuses, and to help our friends look like him. That first week, we also learned about the three aspects of discipleship. That is finding, feeding, and fighting for people. We are all called to find, feed, and fight for people. And last week, Pastor Casey brought some good truth about finding people. Am I right? Come on, if you're here. It was a wonderful evening. She told us all that we are all called to find people who are far from Jesus and bring Jesus to them. Not we're called to find people who are far from Jesus and bring them to Jesus. No, we are called to bring Jesus to them meaning we don't expect them to meet us at our level. We don't expect them to come to us and ask questions about God. No, we bring Jesus with us wherever we go, and we bring Jesus to them. And tonight, we're gonna dive into the next two aspects of making disciples, feeding and fighting. And as we do this, we're gonna hang out on one verse tonight. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll open them up to 2 Timothy chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. And this verse that we're going to read is one of the most important verses, not only to our Chi Alpha here at UNI, but also to Chi Alpha as a whole. See, Chi Alpha is actually a national organization. There's Chi Alphas all around the country and actually all around the world. And this verse in 2 Timothy is one of the most important verses to our community. It's the lifeblood of who we are. So if you're looking to memorize a verse, I challenge you to start with this one for two reasons. One, it's important. Second of all, it's pretty short, so that can help you too. So the book of Timothy, which is what we're reading out of, is actually not a book, it is a letter. It's a letter from this guy named Paul to his friend Timothy. I've talked quite a bit about Paul, but just as a little bit of backwards information, is Paul was a first century missionary and church planter. He kind of like started the whole church. Like other people helped, obviously, but he was the biggest deal. And so he planted a ton of churches and made tons of disciples. He also went on to write a lot of the New Testament, and his writings are what we call epistles. His writings are called epistles. All an epistle is a letter. And so what we're going to read tonight is Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy had followed Paul for quite a long time. And at the time of this letter, it's believed that Timothy was actually a pastor. He was pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. So Timothy is sitting there. He's 
pastoring people, trying to figure this all out, and his good friend Paul, the guy who discipled him, writes him this letter to give him some help. So we're going to read 2 Timothy 2.2. See, that's why it's easy to remember. 2 Timothy 2.2. A bunch of T's. That's fun. Here's the verse. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We're so excited for what you want to do, not only tonight, not only this week, but for the rest of our lives, Father, that you want to call us so much higher than we could ever imagine. Jesus, I pray that you speak through me tonight and that our students and our family here receives what you want to say. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you've been around Chi Alpha for a few weeks, you know that I like to do this thing where I give you one big nugget to take away in case you want to take a nap so you have one thing to remember. If you're new, that's what I like to do. I give one big takeaway. Here it is. Be faithful and entrust to the faithful. Be faithful and entrust to the faithful. Be faithful and entrust to the faithful. Oh, my heart's pitter-pattering. People are writing this down. Come on. This sermon matters. Amen, Jesus. You're so good. Anyways, Paul is writing his disciple Timothy and telling him to find faithful people and to entrust what Paul has told him to them. So before Timothy's supposed to go and start making disciples and teach and pastor, Timothy is called to go find faithful people. So clearly one criteria for being someone that Timothy should spend his time with and disciple is being faithful. So that begs the question, what does it mean to be faithful? The letter that we're reading from Paul to Timothy was not written in English. It was actually written in ancient Greek. So I think in order to really understand this passage, we can't look at the English word faithful, but we must look at the Greek word that is our English word faithful. And the Greek word for faithful is this word pistos. Say it, pistos. There's Greek. You all learned something tonight. Pistos means trustworthy. It means you can be relied upon. It means you're someone who's going to come through on your end. To be faithful, to be pistos, means to be reliable, to be committed. Paul wanted committed, reliable people to pour his life into. He didn't want to spend his time with people that would be flaky, uncommitted, and unreliable because that's not a good investment. Spending time with people, teaching them, and discipling them is an investment. It takes time, money, and resources. So you want it to stick. When you're spending time with people, you want them to be committed to the cause so that you can rely on them, that what you're doing matters. When Paul is telling Timothy to go find faithful people, he's saying, go find people that are faithful to God. Go find people that are faithful to you, Timothy, that are, your, that are committed to you. That, go find people that are committed to the church. But he's also saying, go find people that are committed to the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the word of God, or it's the Bible. So Paul is telling Timothy, find people that will stick to the truth, which is the Bible. See, Paul tells Timothy later on in this letter that he's writing in chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So what is he saying? He's saying the Bible is the direct truth from God, that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and we are called to be faithful to this. At Chi Alpha, we are madly in love with the Bible. We try to read it every single day, and we try to do what it says. We let what the Bible says impact our lives. It's clear that Paul wanted Timothy to find people that were faithful to this truth, to the truth of the word of God. So faithfulness is obviously important to Paul. But as we pray over this passage, as we think about it, the question that I think comes is, well, what else was important to Paul? 
What other criteria were there in deciding who to disciple? And in this specific text, in this letter, 2 Timothy, I don't think we quite get the answer. But I think with some good deductive reasoning, we can get to the correct answer. So this idea of discipleship that we keep talking about, finding people who look to help them look a little bit more like Jesus and so on, comes from Jesus. Jesus did this. See, what did Jesus spend his time doing? Jesus spent his time with 12 men, and he poured his life into them. He spent his whole time with them. Those 12 men were the 12 disciples. That's where we get the term discipleship from. And Paul, the guy who's writing this letter, modeled everything that he did after Jesus. That's why he's telling him to make disciples, because he modeled everything he did after Jesus. So I think we can assume that in order to find Paul's criteria for making disciples and who to find, we can use Jesus' criteria. So then I looked at the 12 disciples, and we look, what is common amongst the 12 disciples? What is common amongst the people that Jesus spent the most of his time with? And I think there's three things that were common amongst them. First of all, they all needed to be faithful. All of Jesus' disciples were loyal. They stood strong. They were all in and committed, just like Paul was saying. All of Jesus' disciples, except one, would end up dying and being killed for following Jesus. That's how faithful and loyal they were. They were killed for it. So faithfulness is obviously important. I think we've covered that. What other criteria are there, though? A second criteria is that Jesus' disciples were available. So they were faithful and they were available. What did that mean? That means they actually followed Jesus around. They spent time with him. They didn't just spend time with Jesus on Tuesday nights. Jesus was not their fourth closest friend. He was their everything. They did not skip time with Jesus to do their homework, to do their laundry, to play video games, or take their girlfriend out for dinner. No, Jesus was their top priority. They were willing to be used. They did not sit on the sidelines and say, someone else will make disciples. Someone else can do this hard work. No, they said, I'm available, God. Jesus, use me. Use me. I will do what you ask. I'm available to be used by you. They did the hard work. They listened to Jesus. They talked to people about him. So what does this look like? How are you available? You show up. That's what the disciples did is they showed up to Jesus and said, whatever you want from me, I will do it. So they have to be faithful. They need to be available. And the third thing that the disciples have in common is they were all teachable. They were teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. They did not argue with Jesus and assert that they know better. It's not like Jesus was giving them a sermon or telling them, hey, you should do this. And then the disciples were like, yeah, but I think I've actually got a better idea, Jesus. I think I understand God and following you a little bit better than you do. No, that's not what they did. They did not argue with him. They did not think that they had all the answers. No, they knew that when Jesus encouraged them to change something, that he was probably on to something. Hear me on this. Please listen. Being teachable does not just mean listening to someone. So being teachable is not just hearing what God says. Being teachable means you listen to what Jesus says, and then you change what you're doing. If we're teachable, if we're truly teachable, We take what we're told and we act on it. Jesus' disciples acted on it. They didn't just watch him and listen to him and say, you know what, Jesus, that's a nice sermon. Jesus, those are some good things. You've got some nice ideas. No, they let what Jesus told them radically change their lives. Jesus said to drop all and follow him, so they dropped all and followed him. Jesus said not to be greedy, so they gave their money to the poor. Jesus said to pray, so they prayed. Jesus said to be humble, so they humbled themselves. Teachability is not just listening, it is doing. Something else about these disciples I think is very important. So they're faithful, they're available, and teachable. Were they the highest members of society? No. Were they super smart? 
No. Had they read a lot of the Bible? No. Did they make a lot of mistakes? Certainly. After following Jesus for two to three years, did they shrink when a 12-year-old girl asked them if they followed Jesus? Yes. So is Jesus calling you to be perfect? No. Is Jesus calling you to have all the right answers and to be, have some great background? No. What Jesus is calling you to do, just like he called the disciples to do, is to be faithful, to be available, and to be teachable. So to summarize, these disciples were fat. No, I'm not commenting on how much raising canes they ate. I'm saying they were faithful, they were available, and they were teachable. So the disciples were nice and fat. Amen. There we go. Freshman Victor was also fat. I'm not calling him chubby. Don't give me a dirty look. Victor, you're very handsome. What I'm saying is Victor was faithful, he was available, and teachable. Victor came to every service. He was committed. He was loyal and steadfast in his devotion to want to grow closer to Jesus. I knew I could count on Victor to not only be at small group, but to also be involved in our discussion, to spend time with me, and just spend time in my life. He was also very available. He made time for Jesus, for Chi Alpha, for our friendship, and for growing. He understood the fact that we all have 24 hours in a day. This means that we all, every person on the planet, has the same opportunity to be available. We can all be available. The difference is our priorities. If we prioritize Jesus, we will have time for him. Just like if we prioritize our significant other, we will have time for them. The same goes for your schoolwork, for your jobs, for your friends, for Netflix. What we spend our time doing reveals our priorities. So we get to decide if we're available for God. Our coursework, our families, our friends do not get to decide if we're available. Our schedules don't dictate our priorities. Our priorities dictate our schedules. Victor is also teachable. Especially after a couple of years. The first year is a little rough, but he grew. So that's good. Amen. So Victor would take what I was teaching him and actually apply it to his life. When I told Victor, hey, you should probably read your Bible, he started reading his Bible. And he's still extremely teachable. Every time I challenge Victor, he uses it to grow. So here's a struggle Victor had. He used to struggle with timeliness and being organized. So last year, my brother Daniel had the role that I currently have. He was our Chi Alpha pastor, and we were sending him off. He was leaving to go plant the church. So we made a video. And I, I was making the video, and I said, all right, small group leaders, get this video to me by Friday night. No later. I said, Friday night, give me the video. Friday night comes. No video from Victor. Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon comes, and I get the video from Victor. And I'm like, Victor, did I say give it to me on Saturday? No, I said give it to me on Friday. Be a person of your word. I challenged Victor, and I said, if you want to work in ministry, if you want to work for Chi Alpha, which he currently does, you have to be timely. And you know what? Victor has not turned one thing in late since because he didn't just let what I challenged him go in one ear and out the other. No, he let it change his actions. That's being teachable. I also told Victor to ask out Lexi, and now they're going to get married, so amen, hallelujah. He listens. He's teachable. I'm kidding. That was his idea, not only my idea. I pushed him in the right direction because Lexi's incredible, but anyways, let's continue. We need to be the kind of person that Timothy, Paul, and Jesus were looking for when they were looking to disciple people, so we need to be faithful and available and teachable. Be faithful to spend time with the Lord. Be so faithful that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to choose to trust Jesus. Whether life is awesome right now or whether life is kind of sucky right now, you're going to say, God is good, 
and God is in control, so I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to trust him no matter my external circumstances. That is faithfulness. Being faithful means to be a person of integrity, having good character, not being a person of rebellion and disobedience, but instead choosing to be a person who will obey the king. Be available. This simply looks not only like going to stuff, but when you're at stuff, be engaged. Mean be engaged physically, so be here, but also be here mentally. Be in your small groups mentally. Participate in discussion. Don't only make God a priority, though. Make each other a priority. Spend time with each other. Finally, be teachable. Seek out advice from Jesus followers who have followed him a little bit longer than you. Be willing to be challenged. Be honest about your struggles and do not think that you have it all together because none of us do. When people push you to grow, don't argue with them and think, how can I get over this? No, you think, I'm going to grow and I'm going to listen to you. Not only are we called to be faithful, available, and teachable, though, we are also called to entrust to the faithful. We are called to entrust to the faithful. Paul tells us, what it, Paul tells us to take what we're learning and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What does this look like? Again, I think to get a proper understanding of entrusting the faithful, we have to look at the Greek. The Greek word for entrust is this word paratathemi. Paratathemi. What does that word mean? It means to make a deposit. Entrusting means to make a deposit. So what Paul is doing is he's telling Timothy, take what I deposited into your life, Timothy, what I've given you, and you go deposit it into other people's lives. So what had Paul deposited into Timothy's life? He deposited himself. He spent time with Timothy. He taught him how to read the Bible. He taught him about Jesus. He deposited everything that he had learned and everything he knew into Timothy's life. And he said, Timothy, don't let it stay with you. Go deposit it into other people. So how do we deposit the truth and how do we deposit ourselves in other people? That's what we call feeding. Feeding. All feeding is is taking what we know about God and teaching it to others. So if you read something in your Bible, tell someone else about it. Hopefully your small group leaders are feeding you right now. They're teaching you how to read your Bible if you don't know how. They're teaching you what it looks like to look more like Jesus. They're asking you tough questions. They're asking about your sin struggles and trying to help you get over them. They're challenging you and pushing you to grow. Feeding is the meat of discipleship. It's when we do what Paul says to do and we teach the truth to others. So be willing to be fed. Find a mentor and ask them questions about the Bible. And a great person for this is your small group leader. If you're not in a small group, that's okay. You can get in one tomorrow. So that'd be fun. Read the Bible together. When people try to feed you, let them. They're not going to force feed you. That sounds uncomfortable for all of us. So take what they challenge you on and let it actually impact your life. There's one warning, though, I do have when it comes to feeding. If you're someone who's been following Jesus quite a while in this room, so if you're new to Jesus, you're okay here, but if you've been following him for a little bit, maybe you've been in a small group for a couple years, maybe you've been fed quite a lot. Make sure not to overeat. What do I mean by that? If you're constantly feeding yourself and never feeding other people, you're going to get too much intake. You need to release that. You need to focus on other people. As a mature follower of Christ, you can't just keep feeding yourself. You need to feed other people. It's like going to Pizza Ranch every day for lunch for two years. It's not healthy. That was my junior and senior year of high school. So don't do it. You need to feed other people so you don't get too puffed up. Not only are you called to be fed, but you're called to feed other people. Take the truth that you are learning and deposit it into other people's lives. Even if you're really new to following Jesus, you can feed other people. Just share what you know. Think about this. Maybe in your small group, you need to meet with the other small group members of your small group. Instead of just leaders meeting with members, members meet with each other and feed each other what God is teaching you. Spend time with each other. Read the Bible together. I have another warning about spiritually overeating. Don't become prideful. Just because you've had some good meals with Jesus does not mean you have all the answers. No matter how much knowledge you have, stay humble. 
We never have it figured out. People who just started following Jesus probably have some good truth and some wisdom that could help you. Be humble enough to listen. As we entrust to the faithful, we will feed people. All right, my wife Taylor and I, we just celebrated our five-year dating anniversary. Come on, pray for her. That's five years of love, friendship, joy, and some challenges. One challenge for Taylor is that I am not a very tidy person. I tend to make a mess. So every morning, I get up and I pour my cup of coffee, and somehow, every morning, no matter what I try, it ends up on the counter. I right above, and I pray about it. I'm like, Lord, do not let the coffee spill, and it ends up on the counter. Every single morning. It's really frustrating, actually, but that's besides the point. So I'm kind of messy. And Taylor, on the other hand, she's very loving. She's not very confrontational, actually. So for the sake of love, it'd be easy for Taylor to just be annoyed by my coffee mess and not say anything. But although that seems loving on the outside, that's actually destructive to our relationship. By her not saying anything, she's not helping me grow as a husband or as a human being by being more cleanly and mature. So I'm not growing because she's not saying anything. And at the same time, she's continually becoming more annoyed and more bitter at me because of my bad habits. So as I'm not growing, she's also, there's a wedge being created in our relationship because there's something that I'm doing wrong that she's not telling me. So actually, while she's trying to be loving on the outside, her void of truth is actually doing the opposite because love without truth makes the love null and void. Love without truth makes the love null and void. Disclaimer, she did tell me to clean it up. That's how I know I make the issue. So she's loving me well. So while that's happening, I, on the other side, I'm pretty particular, and I make it clear when I'm frustrated by something. All right, Taylor has this habit. So she'll let our dog, Cap, we have a tiny, dumb dog named Captain. She'll let him out because he's barking. She'll shut the door, come walk in the living room, and just as she's getting ready to lay down on the couch, he starts barking. And as she's laying, she's like, Derek, will you let him in? And she lays down. And I'm sitting there like, oh, not again. Because, see, I know that my dog barks and barks. He doesn't have to go to the bathroom. He's been outside 10 times in the past five minutes. I know he's just being annoying. So I know I don't want to get up and let him out. But Taylor loves our dog so much. When the dog says jump, Taylor says how high because she loves him. So she lets him out and then tries to get me to let him in. If I wanted to let the dog in, I would have let him out. You guys are all staring at me like this isn't a problem. This is a big deal, okay? This is so frustrating to me because if I wanted to let him out in the first place and let him go chase bunnies around, which is all he does out there, I would have let him out. You let him out, you let him in. I think that's fair. However, the last time that this happened, that Taylor did this where she lets him out and expects me to let him back in, I didn't communicate my thoughts with much grace or love. Instead, I got very stern after letting him out, and I said, Taylor, from now on, if you let the dog out, you let him in. I was very stern. I think there was a hint of anger there and a lack of love. I gave her the truth, but my lack of love and communication makes it seem like I value the truth, but not the love in our relationship. As love without truth makes the love null and void, truth without love makes the truth unheard. As love without truth makes the love null and void, truth without love makes the truth unheard. Taylor will not remember that I was mad because of the dog situation. Instead, what's going to stick with her is that I was a jerk in my means of communicating it to her. 
and that I made her sad and angry. She won't remember the action, but she will remember how I made her feel. The truth will fall away, but the way I made her feel will not. Simply put, we are called to fight for people. We are called to fight for people. If we are to make disciples and entrust the faithful, we must be willing to fight for people. But the question remains, how do we fight for people? We are to do what Ephesians 4.15 says. We are to speak the truth in love. Instead of doing what I did and just speak the truth with no love, we are to speak the truth in love. That is fighting for people. We must be willing to do whatever it takes for our friends to look like Jesus. That means that we are not going to lie to people to help their feelings. This means that if a brother or sister in Christ is running from God, the loving thing is not to let them keep on sinning. The loving thing is not to let them keep being far from God. The loving thing is to challenge them and to call them higher. We must not only tell people that Jesus wants to get them out of hell. We must also tell them that Jesus wants to get the hell out of them. Jesus not only wants to get you out of hell, he wants to get the hell out of you. What does that mean? That means the hell inside of us is the junk, the sins, the struggles, the mistakes we make. And God does not want those to stay there. He wants those out. Jesus does not only care about your eternity, he cares about your present. And how is he going to speak to you about the hell inside of you or the mistakes inside of you? He's going to use a brother or sister. Truly following Jesus means you obey him. Because following someone means that you trust someone. You trust that what they say is good and you're going to do what they say. So I want you guys to picture this. Imagine you're on like a nature walk climbing up a mountain. And you are being led by this nature guide who has been doing it for 40 years. He was born on the mountain. He's lived in the mountain the whole time. He's done this walk every day for 40 years. He is the best nature guide walk person on the planet. And you come, you get excited for your walk. He's leading you up the mountain, and you come to a fork in the road. And at the fork, on one side, it seems kind of scary. It seems like it's not a good path. It seems like it's going to take you away from the top of the mountain. And on the other side, there's this clear path. It looks so easy. It looks so fun. But the nature guy tells you, we're supposed to go this way. We're supposed to go to the hard way because actually that's the easy way. Please trust me. I've done this every day for 40 years. If you truly trust the nature guide and trust that he's smart and trust his wisdom, you're going to follow him even if it doesn't make sense to you. So if we trust Jesus, if we truly have faith and follow Jesus, we're going to do what he says because we know that his way is better than our way. We know that although our way might seem to make more sense, it might seem right now in the present to be the best way, we haven't been to the top of the mountain. We don't know the destination, so how are we supposed to know the path there? But we trust the good nature guide, and we follow the path that he says is best. That is true followership of Jesus, is obedience to Jesus. So you must be willing to be challenged in love to live up to the truth of Christ so you can be obedient to him because sometimes we have a blind spot. Sometimes we need someone to come alongside us and say, I don't think the path you're on right now is great. Sometimes that's Jesus. Sometimes that's a friend who's discipling us because following Jesus is obedience and God has called us to nothing less. That is why your small group leader is going to call you out from time to time. That's why they're going to ask you hard questions like how's your boundaries with your significant other? That's always fun. It isn't because they're mad at you or because they want to control you, but because they love you. They've been on the path a little bit longer, and they love you enough to speak the truth and love to you because they want to help you get to the top. However, this is also not an excuse to go around being a jerk. 
hear me. We must speak the truth in love. That means that we are nice to people. We don't start challenging people the moment we meet them. There must be love before there is truth. There must be love before there is truth. We don't go up to a stranger who's in the union cursing and dropping some F-bombs. We don't go up to him and say, hey, Jesus has called you higher. Let me take you up the mountain. We haven't met yet, but you need to stop cussing. Okay, that's not smart. They're not going to like that because you don't know them yet. We challenge people in relationship. This also doesn't mean for the sake of love we never speak the truth. If someone is doing something that bothers you, tell them. If you don't, you'll just get increasingly bitter at them and you'll ruin your relationship. Sometimes a good relationship needs some fighting. It needs people being willing to speak the truth in love. So speaking of fighting, let's go back to Victor. During the beginning of Victor's senior year, he hit rock bottom. I'm not going to dive into the details. That's not my story to tell. But if you ask him, he'll gladly tell you. But he had a pretty low moment. It was a pretty rough year to start. And I remember this moment. There's this moment where, where Victor, my brother Daniel, who's the pastor of Scent Church, and myself, we were sitting in my living room. And again, Victor had just had the lowest moment of his entire life. I remember we're sitting there. Victor's on my couch. He's upset. And my brother Daniel, instead of yelling at Victor and telling him what the truth is and telling him how he's messed up and telling him just how far gone he is, he got on his knees right in front of Victor. And he said, Victor, look at me in the eyes. And he waited. And then Victor looked at him and he said, Victor, God loves you so much. God has a plan for you. You are not too far gone. You have not screwed up. There is hope for you yet. That is fighting for people. See, Daniel didn't skew the truth and say, everything's great, Victor. That was really smart. So he told him the truth. But he didn't just bring the truth and bring a hammer down on him and tell him how he'd messed up. No, he loved him. And that's true fighting for people. Fighting for people is not shrinking from the truth and saying that everything is okay. Tolerance is not love. But love, what is loving is when you choose to love someone through the truth of their brokenness. That's fighting for people, is loving people through the truth of their brokenness. That although you and I are very, very flawed, and we've made a lot of mistakes, that there is still hope for us yet. Because we never give up on people, because there is hope in the name of Jesus. We are going to be some a people who fight for people because they are worth it. People are worth it no matter what they have done. In your relationships, bring both truth and love. Do not, for the sake of love, not tell people how you feel, how they're hurting you, or how they might need to grow. While at the same time, don't, for the sake of truth, be a jerk to someone and start challenging them because you think you have the keys to their development. There's a fine balance between truth and love, and I think that balance is humility. Being humble enough to say, I don't have all the answers, but I've made some of those mistakes, and I think I can help you because I think I know what Jesus wants. I'm not sure, but I think. That is feeding and fighting for people. It's humbly, humbly speaking the truth and love to them. If you all stand with me. 
See, God is not only calling you to be faithful, but he's also calling you to entrust to the faithful. So how do we entrust the faithful? We feed and we fight for them. You have an opportunity. Every person in this room has an opportunity. You can be faithful. You can be available. And you can be teachable. You can be a person that's worth investing in. Someone that the Apostle Paul would have told Timothy to go find and entrust in. You can choose to dive all in with Jesus. You can choose to commit to following him. You can choose to be reliable and commit to community, to commit to your friends, to commit to the truth, and to most importantly, commit to Jesus. You can also choose to be available to God. You can be present both physically and mentally. You can let him guide you. You can let him be your priority. You can let him direct your steps and say, no matter where you lead, God, I will follow. That is up to us. You can also be teachable. You can let people challenge you in truth and love. And you can take the challenging and the wisdom, and even when it stings, and even when you don't want to hear it, you take it, you listen to it, and you grow. This is not only listening to the truth, but doing something about it. See, you and I, we don't have all the answers. We do not have all the answers. But you do not have to have followed Jesus very long. You certainly do not need to be perfect. You don't need to come from a specific background. You don't have to have gone to a church every Sunday. You don't have to have ever gone to a church. All you need to be used by God is to be faithful, to be available, and to be teachable. All you need is a heart that is ready and willing to be shaped so you can look more like Jesus. If you're ready and willing to be shaped to look like Jesus, he will do it. While you can be faithful, you can also entrust in the faithful. What happens if we entrust to the faithful? I want to show you something. So remember Paul. We've talked a lot about him. So Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. Paul discipled Timothy. He helped Timothy look more like Jesus. So Paul not only poured into Timothy, but he gave Timothy a call. He said, Timothy, you are called to entrust in the faithful. So it went from Paul to Timothy to the faithful men. Paul taught, I mean, Timothy taught and discipled the faithful men, but that's not all. Paul said, Timothy, entrust the faithful so that they can teach others also. Entrust the faithful so they can teach others also. And it goes on and on and on. See, he does not stop with them. We go from Paul to Timothy to the faithful men to the others, and that is transgenerational. What does that word mean? It means it spans multiple generations. Our cry at Chi Alpha is that we have transgenerational discipleship meaning you will have spiritual grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers. Because God wants to do this with us. My brother Daniel, the pastor of Sent Church, discipled me. So there's Daniel. So he discipled me. So Daniel was like Paul. And in this analogy, I was like Timothy. And then I was called to entrust the faithful men. And in this analogy, the faithful men was Victor. And now Victor, it doesn't stay with him. But now he's leading other people. And Victor is leading a small group. So if you are in Victor's small group here, you are the others in this verse. And guess what? It will not stop with you. Victor's small group, you will make disciples. You will go find more people. Because this is the vision of Chi Alpha. This is it. We are called to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, and it goes on and on and on. So when you're dead, someone is going to trace their lineage of being a Christ follower back to you. When you're long gone from the University of Northern Iowa, there's going to be students in these chairs 
because you are obedient to find, feed, and fight for people on this campus. If you are willing to accept this call and to be faithful and entrust to the faithful, you'll all be gone. Taylor and I will be old and gray and still here. And your spiritual great, great, great granddaughters will be sitting right there. That sounds pretty cool to me. That's how we reach the world. We make disciples who make disciples. Maybe you're here, though, and if you're honest, you don't follow Jesus at all. So you're like, how am I supposed to make disciples when I don't even know what's going on? Before you worry about doing this for other people, Jesus wants to do this for you. He loves you so much that he wants to fight for you. And that's why you're here tonight. Someone brought you here. There's some reason you're here. You saw something on social media. There's something that got you here. And God used that to get to you. It is not an accident that you are here. God put someone into your life. God put some social media ad into your life. God put something into your life because he cares enough about you to get to you. He didn't want you to sit in your class and be alone. He wanted to come to you. God found you. God wants to feed you, and God is fighting for you right now. Jesus loves you enough to put someone in your path that will bring you here because he worked through them to get to you. And if you don't follow Jesus, if you're here and Jesus is not the king of your life, there's one thing he wants you to know. That's that he cares about you. He cares enough about you to get you here. He cares about your calling. He loves you. Jesus came to earth and he paid the ultimate price for your soul. See, Jesus knew that you would make mistakes. So he came and he died for our mistakes. And now we are set free in his name. We are free to pursue him and to pursue our calling. And that calling is to make disciples. But before that, he wants you to be his disciple. So if the response team will come forward, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. So as we sing this last song, we're going to sing together. We're going to have a, some, some leaders up in these front corners, and they want to pray with you. So if you want prayer, come and talk to them. They're here for you. That's what their purpose is. But before we do that, I want to pray for you. So I want everyone in this room, if you'll close your eyes and bow your heads. There's a question we ask every week at Chi Alpha, and this is if there's some of you, there's someone in here who you don't follow Jesus, if he's not your king, I want to give you the opportunity to change that tonight. So what I'm going to ask you to do is on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm all in. You are my king. And to give your life to Jesus, say, I'm going to be a disciple. So if that's you, if you'll raise your hand on the count of three and commit to following Jesus, to being faithful, that'd be great. One, two, three. See those hands. Thank you for being willing to commit to God. Thank you for doing an active step. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for these new members of your kingdom, Father. We thank you that you're a good God who found us, who wants to feed us, and is going to fight for us. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my soul. We love you so much, God. Amen. Amen. Now, for the rest of you, if you want to commit to being a disciple maker, what I want you to do is this. I want you to worship right now when we sing this song and to give to Jesus. I want you to get plugged into a small group. I want you to be fed by your small group leader. I want you to fight for your friends. And I want you to do whatever it takes to see your great-great-granddaughter in this room. Let's sing this song together.